Wow. Praise the Lord. May we praise His great name this morning. Turn with me back to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Last week we kind of did an introduction into this. And Psalm 78 is basically a, a concise reading of the story of Israel and its birth and uh, its travels and its following and yet its neglect. Last week we talked about uh, forward uh, going but learning by looking backward at what has happened, what God has done for us. This week is a much harder and much closer to each one of our lives message and how we look at them and how we should learn that so often we try to move forward in our lives, but we try to do so out of the flesh. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus told Peter, James, and John to pray for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul said that I constantly battle the flesh. Not just the battle of the thorn in the flesh, but the flesh itself rising up from that which is dead, crucified with Christ. And when we stay dead to the flesh, then we live the fullness that is the Christ life. But when we choose as believers to allow a resurrection of the flesh, then we're going forward in our own demise. Now, for many of you, especially my age and above, and maybe for some younger ones that have watched the retro cartoon channels, there's an old cartoon called The Roadrunner and Coyote. Maybe, yeah. And no matter how hard Wiley Coyote tried, he could not catch the Roadrunner. I mean, listen, he was the one who put online shopping on the map. He was every day ordering something from the Acme company on how he could trap, blow up, or somehow get rid of that pesky roadrunner. But he always failed and ended up hurt in the process. And I can remember sitting there watching this Saturday morning after Saturday morning and thinking, why doesn't he learn? You know, it, it always ends the same, whether he's strapped to a giant bottle rocket or whether he's got some kind of uh, ingenious rat trap, he ends up blowing up in this sky or falling off a thousand foot cliff. And so many times I would literally want to scream at the TV and warn him, you're doing it again. Throughout life, I have had older people warn me of situations and people that would lead to failure and disaster. You have too. People said, you need to watch out for them. You need to watch out for this situation in your life. And when it came to pass, what they had told me, I wondered how, how would they know? How did they know what would happen? Now understand, 
You see, they did not look into the future, but rather looked at the past. And they knew based on that cycle that continually was repetitious, based on the scripture that said the wages of sin is death. From the very first of the Bible, in Genesis 3, we see God had commanded Adam and Eve, you can literally have every single thing that I have made except for one thing. And you know it if you're a parent or if at some point you were a child. You know there's been times where you've been warned and said, hey, don't mess with that. And that is the thing you wanted to mess with. Because the flesh screams out, I want to do. I want to find out why I'm being warned not to do it. And it usually brought pain, either from the act or from the punishment thereof. Listen, they could see, and now we can see. And we know that as they did not look into that, but rather looked at the past, they knew that if things did not change through surrender to God, life would be miserable. Proverbs 14, 34 says this, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Do you hear that? As we look at the world today and we look at America, we must remember whether it is Israel or America, whether it's Egypt or Afghanistan, whether it is Guatemala or Ukraine, whether it is Canada or Hungary, no matter what nation, righteousness, real godly righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin, sin, that which is at enmity with God, that which is direct disobedience to a holy God, sin is a reproach to any people. Today we look back at the failures of Israel in the wilderness and the sad, sad consequences. And when you read through your Bible and you read through Genesis and you read through Exodus and you read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you read through David, you read through the Kings uh, and the Chronicles, you read through all that and you think, why won't they learn? We have all of it and we still don't learn. We so often choose the wrong thing. You see, as we review this te text, we must ask ourselves, is this me? Is, is, is this me? Am I trying to live my life solely in the flesh or am I totally dependent on the power and the presence of the Lord? And may I say, if you are using the excuse today, well, I'm here at church, so apparently I'm not. I'm telling you something. God's word is chock full. And Jesus himself said, there will be many on that judgment day that will cry, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in thy name? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and we not tell others about you? But he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I am not trying to preach you into a state of doubt, but to simply say, you must make your 
calling and election sure. And if you are born again, then you must ask yourself, why do I continually enter in to this vicious, destructive cycle of trying to go forward in this life in the flesh? As we look at Psalm 78, look with me, starting in verse 12. Marvelous things. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think marvelous, I immediately think of a wonderful table at Thanksgiving and think, man, that's marvelous. I think of Christmas morning and all the, the trimmings and the lights and the presents. I think of a beautiful morning when you wake up to see snow. That's the only morning it's marvelous. Now, then we're ready for it to go. A beautiful, crisp morning in the spring or fall when the leaves are just coming out and it's so rich and green or when it's in the fall and they're starting to turn colors, those marvelous things. He begins this scripture by saying, marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers. In the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through the Red Sea. And he made the waters to stand up like a heap in the daytime. Also, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and he gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Sounds like a pretty good God, doesn't he? So often we take our focus off of how good God is to us and we look at the trivial little situations of the moment rather than look at the panoramic of life and say, ain't God good? But yet we, we pause and we think, oh, I can't survive. I can't do it. Job complained. Elijah complained. One cursed the day he was born and one asked God to kill him. Two great, wonderful, righteous, holy men that in the moment of doubt, the moment of weakness, the moment of being overwhelmed by the suffering of this life, they thought, God, where are you? What, what are you doing? I'd venture to say every believer in this room has thought that at times. I know I have. We must ask ourselves, is he really God? And if the answer is yes, then we've got to ask ourselves in the midst of trials and tribulations, problems and neglect and all the brokenness of life, we've got to say in this equation, what's the problem? Well, it's man and it's man's worldly desire. Our worldly desire. You see, the worldly desire is conjured up inside of our hearts. It was in their hearts. They brought it. They didn't check it when they left Egypt. They brought the flesh with them. And that's the thing, whether you're on the job or in church or in your car or at home, in the privacy that the world cannot see, you're in the flesh. Literally, 
alive in Christ, and it's up to you how much of that flesh controls you. You see, their problem in this, it was, it was this heart problem that they were dealing with. Back in Genesis, as we've already referenced, where Adam and Eve sinned, we basically see an outline of three sins that are three categories that every sin falls into. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride, the pride of life. We see Jesus conquering all three of those in the wilderness temptations in Matthew 4. God in the flesh conquering that which flesh cannot conquer. And so here we see a microcosm of the same thing. First of all, the lust of the flesh. You see, God had given them water from rocks, literally from rocks. God provided water from his hidden supply. You may be walking through life completely dry to the bone. You think spiritually, physically, emotionally that you will not survive. You will thirst to death because you can't see it. Does it mean God doesn't? For God has the hidden supplies that he can make burst forth in the midst of our life. You see, the, he did it twice at Rephidim and Kadesh. Twice the Lord did this. He told Moses, strike the rock, and then he told him to speak to the rock. And there's Moses' great downfall. And we'll see that in its fullest later. But first of all, it was that they were trying to drink out of the empty wells of emotion. They were living off of excitement, not the provider of it. Oh, it's exciting when you get to leave on a trip to something much better. Oh, they were leaving Egypt and all the excitement and getting all their family together and all they had heard all their life was the generation upon generation upon generation of how God had provided for them through their forefathers, through Joseph and how they were part of Jacob, part of Israel and now God has come on the scene. He has heard their cry and he set them free. That'd be pretty emotional, wouldn't it? Now, everyone that gets saved doesn't cry. Some kind of laugh, not in a mocking way, but just full of joy. Some people, they just smile so big, it looks like their face will crack. We all respond differently. But I'm telling you, when there's an inrush of the presence of God that has taken that which is dead and made alive, there will be some outpouring in our lives that will be evident. I just, you can't continue doing the exact same thing the exact same way and think God did anything drastic in your life. And it wasn't God that didn't do it, it was you. For God seeks and saves those which are lost. But you see, they were living off of the excitement. So often we, we look back and we live off of the things of our past, the excitement. And the, we, we, we conjure it up and we, we like to tap into the, the dopamine, if you will, of ex life experiences. And oh, we go back to all those things. I love to play golf. I don't get to play as much as I like, but I love to play when I go, usually. 
And the older you get, the less good you are, I guess. This week is what is called the Bay Hill Invitational. It was Arnold Palmer's tournament. And Arnold died several years ago, but it's a memorial tournament now, and it's a very prestigious tournament. And there's a guy, a, a golfer by the name of Robert Gamez, who 32 years ago hit a miracle shot, one stroke behind, coming down the stretch in the last hole, a very, very hard closing hole. And two strokes behind, he's hit his drive into the fairway, and he's all right, but he would have to birdie it to have a chance at tie. And barring a miracle, that was the best that could happen. He walks up to his ball, and he says, I'm, I'm going to hit this club, and then something else happens, or the person in front hits a great shot, and now they're one shot up. And he said, with all the adrenaline, all the excitement, he said, there's no way I was going to risk hitting that, so I dropped the club, and I knew that all this adrenaline flowing, I would just hit it harder. And so he dropped down, picks this other club, and he hits the miracle shot of his life from 176 yards, and he hits it in. It bounces a few times. It rolls and drops into the hole for an eagle. He wins the tournament. Down by one, and with one stroke of the club, he wins the tournament. That's 32 years ago. And winning that tournament for the rest of his life, he was supposed to be exempt to be able to play it, no matter how good how bad he's playing. Now in his 50s, he was still playing and he started this tournament this year. And the opening day, the par is 72. And he, is a, he was a professional golfer. And the opening day, he was 20 over par. He was absolutely, utterly dead last. It was almost embarrassing, but he enjoyed the privilege to go back. He was living off. There's even a plaque in the middle of that fairway. There's a bronze plaque in the middle of all that grass that says on this date, from this spot, Robert Gamez eagled out to win the Arnold Palmer. And forevermore in this life, when you walk down that 18th, that plaque will be there. But you see, his play doesn't resemble anything close to 32 years ago. He's living off the sheer emotion and he had his world rocked this week because they came to him and says, barring something, a miracle, there will no longer be winner's exemptions. This will be your last one. They've changed the rules. I don't know about you, but I've had the world change its rules on me before. And you don't live on that excitement any longer. You can't tap back into it. So often in our life, we try to live off this empty excitement of emotions. I'm telling you something. Emotions will only last so long. But the Spirit of God will last forever. They were trying to live off the bitter world of wells of entitlement. These are the past victories. God had raised the waters up as heaps. He had drowned the Egyptians. He had done great things in their life and they were trying to live off of that. Do you remember when God sent manna 
You remember that? You remember they woke up, you know, they were hungry and whatever, and God from the very start had them, had them eat manna. They would get up in the morning and it would be as the dew on the ground, covering the ground, and it was small wafers that tasted like honey. It's not bad. You didn't fix anything, didn't need a microwave. It was fresh. He said, every day, go get the manna. But don't, don't store it up for tomorrow. Now, you can do that on the day before the Sabbath because I don't want you out there working on the Sabbath picking it up. So you can do it on that day. Every other day, you live according to that day. You get up, you get your manna. That is a picture of what God is trying to tell us in our life. We can't store up faith from past experiences and feel entitled that we can live off of some experience we had with God 32 years ago, 57 years ago, a one month ago. We can't do it. Every single day of our life, God calls us to get up and trust Him. Every day. Every day, every moment, we are not entitled, church, but we feel like we are as Christians. We feel like we're entitled as Americans. We feel like the world owes us something. My friends, God's word says you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're not entitled to anything but hell. But Jesus died to set you free from your entitlement. I don't care. I don't care how old you are. Listen, sometimes older people feel like they're entitled to something. We think because we're white or we're black or we're Hispanic. We think because we're old, we're young, we're Americans, we're not Americans, whatever it is. Every group feels like that in something they are entitled. My friends, I'm telling you, the only entitlement we have is going to come through the one that paid it all, who was entitled and yet left his title in glory and died on the cross to set us free. I'm telling you, when we grasp that, stop trying to live off of past victories, that by the way, you didn't hit the winning home run, Jesus did. You struck out on three pitches. But Jesus, well, as we announced church softball, Jesus hit the walk-off and won one to zero because Satan has never scored on him, ever. When he thought he had, oh, look, we've got him on the cross. It hit Satan and said, oh, no, I've walked into a trap. And he tried to get the Roman soldier to come. And he says, if you be God, Bring yourself off that cross. Save it. He tried to get the thief. Get him off the cross. Every way he tried to get him off the cross. And Jesus said, oh no, I'm rounding second. Headed for home. That's a pretty good analogy right there, ball players. But then the mirage of ease. You see, we long for the lap of luxury. We spend all our time, all our effort trying to make life easier rather than trying to make it closer to Him. 
I want to remind you of something. It was this Sunday, one year ago, that would be our last regular un-COVID related worship day. It was the last day that we had regular everything. That online was just for shut-ins or someone out of town. It was the last Sunday that we still were looking at incorporating choir and having the, the small group full, I mean, everything. And in one week, it all changed, didn't it? It all changed. Cancel, 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 cancel. The ease you have built for yourself. Listen to me. The ease that you may be dwelling in right now is one stroke of a pen, one ambulance ride, one bad decision, one breath from going away. Are you where God wants you to go? Are you moving forward in His strength and not the flesh of worldly desire? Oh, if I had this, I'd be happy. Oh, if I had that, I would be happy. I hope before long... Now hear me. I'm being real serious right here. No jokes. I hope before long I'll have the interior in my old hot rod I've been working on for 18 years. But you know what? It's in my garage at home. 92, 94% finished. But most days I walk by it and I never even think to look at it. I walk that close to it. 18 years I poured it. I'd think about it, how I was going to do this, and how I was going to do that, and I was going to do this, and I'd order this, and I'd work on this. And now that it's about done, man, I'm glad I got it. But it's just another thing. It's just another thing. That job you thought, if I get that job, I'll be set. But there's a reason they call it a J-O-O. Be. And now you've realized that. I'm going to tell you, I get it. I love what I do. I, I'm so thankful to be able to do what God's called me to do and somehow trick y'all into paying me to do it. But the truth is, you know, they say that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's a lie. Because I don't care how much you love it, they still hard days, aren't they? Ease is a mirage that Satan is painting. And you will thirst yourself to death trying to get there. It's just over that next hill. I know it is. I know it is. And that fulfillment of the flesh will never be reached. Second, I want you to look with me. Listen, as you're looking at the second thing, Jesus told the woman at the well, he, he said very vividly clear, listen to this. He said in John 4, 13, he answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, 
She, she was trying to live in the fullness of the flesh. Oh, we worship in this mountain. We do things this way. Jesus said, you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. Everyone will. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When you do not think you can take one more step, that life springs up. When you think that life's not worth living, the living water of Jesus Christ springs forth and grabs you from the inside out and says, life is worth the living just because I live. He said, I'm that living water. Not only is it a worldly desire, that lust of the flesh that conjures us from inside our hearts, it's a worldly allure. It's the outside surroundings. You know, you go to Florida and you see all these billboards. This zoo's over here and this water park's over here and this amusement park's over here. And every single one of them, the kids are hollering, I want to go there, I want to go there, I want to go there, I want to go there. And as adults, we look through magazines and we look online and we think, I want to do that. I want to buy that. I want to get this. It never goes away. It's a worldly allure that thinks, if I can just have that, I'll be satisfied. If I can just go there, it'll be the greatest thing. I can remember my own kids telling me and I can remember telling my parents, if you would just give me this, if I can just have a motorcycle, I'll be happy and I won't ever ask for anything again. I don't know. They never gave me one. They knew me a lot better than I knew myself. Worldly allure that I misspelled on the slide, but just move on. Outside surroundings is the lust of the eyes. Look in verse 17. He says, but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflow. They're saying, yeah, God did it, but, but, really? Can he give bread also? Oh yeah, he can just give water, he can't give bread. He gave water out of the rock, but he can't give bread? Can he provide meat for his people? Listen, they looked around. The Bible tells us in Exodus 16, 4, that he sent bread from heaven. We're kind of on one of them diets where no bread, no potatoes and all that stuff. I don't know if life's worth it. I'm just, I'm, I'm at that point in it. I'm like, really? A dear friend of mine this morning said that he was on the Twix diet. And he's really enjoying it. Probably, yeah. See, I didn't know, have to even reveal a name and everybody knew. Uh, we haven't had a loaf of bread in our house in two months. I know it. Y'all need to talk to Becky about that. But you know, I've had more energy. I felt better, but... Man, good fresh bread, smell of bread in the morning. Every morning they got up 
And God sent bread from heaven. I mean, heaven's bakery, I don't don't think it could get any better than that. Every morning. I can remember right now, I can taste the bread that they blessed and served us at the Seder the night before Passover when we ate with a Jewish family in Jerusalem. And I'm like, dude, is there more? This is unbelievable. You see, we get allured to the bread that's on earth rather than the bread from heaven. They literally called it manna. I know I've told you this many times, but manna literally is not a name. It literally is a question. When they said it's manna, they're saying we don't know what it is because the word manna means what is it? It was so miraculous there wasn't even a worldly name for it. And so they called it, what is it? It's the worldly allure that we look at our surroundings with our eyes and we think, oh man, doesn't that look good? You see, they look back at bondage. They think, oh, you remember how beautiful it was in the land of Goshen? You remember how the Nile River just, we'd sit out on the banks of the Nile River and Man, all the horses coming by. And they, they wouldn't mention the soldiers who were saying, get back to work. They didn't talk about that. And they talked about, oh man, wasn't the cucumbers and all this other, wasn't it, oh, if we could just be back there eating that. But they don't talk about how they were limited and weren't allowed to have the fullness of what God could bless them with. I want you to remember something. Sin is never as fond as we remember We talk about the good old days and we especially like to talk about them high school days. And we like to brag on Satan more than we like to brag on God sometimes. You hear me? These inspirational books, they give stories and it will write four pages of the hell that someone lived in and one paragraph and God brought me out, period. I don't have any time for that. We need to be putting the majority of time on who God is and what God has done and how God revolutionized our life rather than the depravity of sin that we lived in. Hey, if you've ever said this, man, I don't know how I lived through that, then stop bragging about it. Brag on God. See, they look back at a bondage that wasn't near as pleasant as they remembered. They, I mean... Do you, do you remember why Moses was sent to start with? Because their cry came up before God. They complained and rightfully so. Oh God, have you forgotten us? The Egyptians are killing us wholesale. God sent and delivered them. But then they looked around at others. Listen. They were not meant to stay here in the wilderness. He said, don't don't hang out with them. Don't marry them. Don't look at their stuff. Don't worship their gods. Don't don't inbreed. Listen, it literally in Leviticus says, don't let your animals breed with their animals. I have set you apart to be different. So often we look around at others and we think, well, why do they have it made? Because you don't see all the problems. You just see the surface. 
168 hours in a week. Do you see them every hour? Do you see them in the dark recesses of their private lives? No. You're judging it on this little sliver of what you think you know. Stop looking around at others and go where God sends you. Do what God tells you. and Be everything God's called you to be. You know the saying, if the grass is greener on the other side, there's probably a septic tank underneath it. Stop looking at others. But then they look past God. They just look past Him. Uh, in, in John chapter 6, now remember, He sent them water twice and they chose to forget it. But then... He tells us and gives us an explanation of manna and who he was and is in John chapter 6. Verse 47, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Matt read it up here this morning. I am, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You ain't that bread of what is it. I'm here to tell you who it is. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now Exodus 16, 4 said, and he rained down manna from heaven. Listen to verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, He will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. They look past God and all of God's provision and all of God's power. Yes, they remembered Joseph, but they didn't remember the fullness. And they may have thought about Jacob or Israel and the tribes because they had to follow that, but they forgot about Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise, born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. They forgot about their father Abraham, that God sent out of a country to a country he would give, and yet did not see it, but from a distance. He forgot about how God provided Noah and the ark. He forgot about all of God's goodness, even through the experience of the garden. They look past God. But hear me today. If you're looking past God, all you can see is the nose on your face. All you can see is today's politics. All you can see, and listen, I don't like it. Man, I was gritting my teeth, buying, pumping gas the other day. And I thought, I can post all I want about Facebook that you got what you voted for, but they don't care. Because I didn't vote for it. I sure didn't want it. But here I am pumping for more expensive gas and everything else is going up because of it. You just wait. But the truth is, whether I'm paying 79 cents for gas, 189 for gas, or $4 a gallon for gas, God is still here. He was there. He is here. And hear me today, He is enough. It's not God plus politics. It's not God plus Eastside Baptist Church. It's not God plus 
Pastor Matt, it's not God plus my spouse, not God plus my children, it's God and then everything else. Stop with the worldly allure. I'm telling you, church, it's time we wake up because we have rejected the blessings of the Lord and God has blessed us and it may be that we're now in a day where it is going to be four or five gallon a dollar a gallon gas and all the other stuff's more expensive so we can't live in the lap of luxury we can't desire the worldly things because we can't afford it reality sets in and then all we've got is God sometimes God has to have us on our back so we look up they look past God we need to be looking for him and then third it was a weak denial Look at verse 21 in Psalm 78. Verse 21. Therefore the Lord heard this and he was furious. I know how bad it is when I make Becky mad at me. But I also know how it is when God's furious with me too. It said that he was furious, so a fire was kindled against Jacob. And anger also came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Listen, they were self-consumed with this prideful arrogance. Man, look at us. We're, We're... We're Israel. We're getting a whole promised land. We're a great nation. Look at all of us. Look at all that God. I'm telling you, there were times that they did it and God opened the ground and swallowed them up. He struck them dead. When they rebelled against him and his anger was kindled. And it was because of, he said in verse 22, they did not believe in God. Man, what a... We're living in an age of lack of belief. I want to ask you, what is challenging your faith? Have you read some secular book? You've read some talking head? You've read some spiritual guru and made you question what the Bible says? The problem is in this life, we've become too smart sometimes. I remember studying a book in seminary Two books, actually. A pro and a con book on a theological subject. And the theological subject was called Open Theology. And Open Theology posits that if there is free will in man, then God cannot know the future because he's waiting on us to make our decisions and then he bases everything else. Open theology. That's ludicrous. It's nonsense. God is either sovereign or he's not God. He's either omniscient or he's not God. But he is God. And he is omniscient. And he is sovereign. And so there is no such thing as the openness of God. The other book was called uh, A Lesser God. But it was mocking open theology. The problem with all that is one of the authors of the open theology book, The Openness of God, 
was a former adherent to the inherent, inerrant, infallible, verbal, plenary inspiration of God's word, believing in the fullness of the sovereignty of God, believing in the fullness of who God is and controller of the universe. And yet, in his latter days, Clark Pinnock, a professor in a Southern Baptist seminary, turned away from God in belief of an... Now, he says he didn't turn away from God. He would have never said that. He's dead now. But his theology became so skewed. You can read so many books in this world that you think that you're smarter than the Bible. But I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, this is the book that matters. There's only one that's called holy. The rest of them are just books. They may be good books. And listen, we just come off of a week honoring one of the greatest deep writers of all time, Dr. Seuss. He's probably quoted than most other authors. So apparently he made a pretty good impact. But the truth is, whether it's Homer, an Odyssey, or the Iliad, or whether it is the, the authors of the Dark Ages and the Medieval Times, whether it's the greatest of theologians and commentators as Calvin and Luther, as the great authors of the 20th century and all the monographs that we pick up now and the hip things, all of them are books and many of them are very helpful, but none of them were breathed by God. It was a weak denial because of their lack of belief. What is challenging your belief? And they did not trust. It said in verse 22, the latter part, he said that they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Hear me today. It's this simple. Either he's God or he's not. And either you're trusting him or you're not. There's a lot of gray area in this life. That's not one of them. They did not trust God. And I'm afraid that the church of the living God today are straining at gnats and swallowing camels because we simply do not trust God. We think we've got to fix it. My friends, it'd be amazing what would happen if we just trusted God. Now, that doesn't mean we sit on our hands. When God says go, we go. When God says stay, we stay. When God says speak, we speak. When God says be quiet, we're quiet. The point is every day, every moment, we walk in His power by trusting in His salvation. You see, and because of it, they would not learn. Verse 23 Yet he had commanded the clouds above, opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat, give them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. See, cake's got to be good. He sent them food to the full. They didn't ever walk away and think, man, I'm still hungry. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, 
He brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas. Amen for quail. And he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled. You know when you're supposed to stop but you eat that one more piece? They were well filled for he gave them their own desire. Listen to this. All you who are complaining and think life's not fair, it says they were not deprived of their craving. He tells us in another psalm that God sent their request or granted their request but sent leanness unto their souls. Be careful what you ask God for. You want a new wife? He may give you one. You want a new husband? You want a new job? You want a new this? You want a new that? And it may be the absolute most miserable. You, you will literally want to die. It's so bad. Hey, be thankful for what God's given you. He said in verse 31, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. When will we ever learn? Wiley Coyote didn't. But he was just a cartoon. We're not a cartoon. When will we learn? When will we stop the vicious cycle of living repetitively in this, I'm going to get right and then I get left. I'm going to go to church and then I don't go to church. I'm going to read my Bible and then I stop and I pay attention to everything else. When will we learn? I beg you today, stop the cycle. Sunday after Sunday, we implore you to trust God. And I know that you can do it anywhere and everywhere. But my friends, there's a special place in the altar of God in God's house. And so often God gives us an opportunity to step out in faith. And we say, not now, God. Today's the day to stop the cycle. And finally, a holy judgment. You didn't think you could avoid it, did you? Boy, I can remember. I knew what I'd done. I knew I'd messed up and I knew there was a price to pay. And daddy would come in and I'd think, oh Lord. Oh. But it didn't happen. To the point that I kind of relaxed a minute. I thought, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live to see tomorrow. I mean, it was literally a Scarlet O'Hara moment. And the sun's going to rise and it's going to be wonderful. We'd get done with supper or whatever dad had. That wasn't the only thing on daddy's mind. It was the only thing on my mind. And daddy said, all right, son, go to my room. I thought, oh, governor didn't call. I am going to die. You see, it is arrogance to think judgment applies to everybody but me. Oh, yeah, judge them people over there. Hey, man, God. They need to get it. Drop your Holy Spirit bomb on them. Tear them up. I'm going to tell you, there's times I've watched news and, think, uh, and situations and think, that's what they had coming. And a still small voice says, yeah, you do too. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. My friends, there was a consequential looking, he said in verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him. Maybe God's got you broken right now. You need to be looking. Through the consequences of your sin, God's trying to get your attention. Why do you think that he chastises us so that we will pay attention? Listen, it was a broken return. He said in verse 34, very clearly and succinctly, he said right here, Therefore, in verse 33, their days he consumed in futility and their years in fears, uh, in fear. When he slew them, they sought him and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Are you willing in your brokenness today to face your brokenness and say, God, I really need you. I need to see you. I need to experience you. And return to where you belong. You may have hidden those sins from everybody you know. But right now, God is reminding you in your heart and your spirit, you need to surrender them and come back with a broken heart. That's the only way God takes us, with a broken heart, a contrite, broken spirit. But then, finally, a painful reminder. Oh, how painful. Listen to me in verse 35. Then they remembered. Then, after all the brokenness, after God slew them, after the terrible heartache, it said, they remembered that God was their rock. Is God your rock today? Do you need a reminder? Are you waiting till it really gets intense? Or can you today say, God... A year ago, I was coasting along, and this has been one of the most miserable, heart-wrenching, stressful, fearful days of my entire life. Lord, I need to get my attention on you. I need to avoid those consequences of the flesh. I need to stop lusting with my flesh, looking at everything but you. Lord, crying out in pride, wanting what I want. Lord, I must surrender that. And today's the day, church. Today's the day that we look him in the face and say, you are enough. You're the water that I drink. You're the bread that I eat. You're the breath that I breathe. You are my life. You are my rock. May I rest in you. Lord, forgive me, change me, mold me, use me for your glory. If you need to be saved, you come. If you need to come and join the church, you're a member of another church, but this is where you belong. You're saved, but it is time that you obey God's command to be baptized and tell the world outside what's happened to you inside. Whatever you need to do, you come to this altar today and trust Him. Come. Come to Jesus.